are on the line. Live on Fox Sports Central Alabama on 98.3 FM in Birmingham and Sylacauga and in Auburn on ESPN 1067 or online on foxsports983.com and ESPNAU.com. You are on the line with Noah Gardner and Lance Daw. Join the show by calling in at 334-321-1390 or toll free at 888-382-7500. You're on the line with Noah Gardner and Lance Dawn, ESPN 106.7 and Fox Sports Central Alabama. Happy Tuesday afternoon, everybody. Lance, how you doing today, my man? I'm doing great, Noah. You know, it's, it was a little warm in the studio earlier today, but we got that all sorted out. Now it's kind of chill. It's been a, it's been a relaxing Tuesday afternoon so far. Number to call, 334-321-1390. Text line at 334-564-1840. We also have for the first couple of segments of today's show, we got Jeremy Law of Radio Alabama Sports with us this Tuesday afternoon. Jeremy, how you doing, man? Doing well. You're actually visiting the uh, the mothership here today. So we're actually together and Lance is off in the real studio so it's great to be on i promise the listeners only be on for about two segments then i gotta run to some meetings but should be a good show that you guys have today the mothership is in radio alabama headquarters in silicaga correct which always enjoyed the ride up 280 silicaga a hidden gem out in this valley area up towards birmingham so excited to be here today and i'll be there throughout the rest of this week as well up until friday and then we got media days next week we got a packed show for everybody today Auburn football, Alabama football talk as well. We draw the line in the sand. We talk about these two teams today now with Jeremy Law on the line with us. Most important player for each of these two teams. And we'll start on the Auburn side of things. Who is the most important player for Auburn football in 2021? Lance, we'll start with you. I think whenever you look at Auburn's roster, it's obviously got to be Tank because I don't trust Bo Nix to get Auburn through uh, some of these tougher SEC games, specifically Georgia, A&M, Alabama, without a star running back like Tank Bigsby. If he goes down, I don't trust Sean Shivers either to, to keep the offense going. And, and you know, you've got Jarquez Hunter and then you've got uh, Jordan Ingram, but I don't know if you could necessarily have them go by committee and survive as well as you could with Tank in your backfield. And obviously we've talked about Tank before as not a, not a uh, solidified Heisman candidate, but potentially if he stays healthy, he could be somewhere along Along those lines towards the end of the season, I think he's Auburn's most valuable player for sure. If he goes down, I don't think the season's lost, but Auburn's definitely going to face some issues. Again, I just don't trust Bonix to be able to carry the load by himself if he doesn't have Tank Bigsby in the backfield along with him. Yeah, in the past, it hasn't been such a quarterback game, and you could say it about almost every team in the country, Lance, that but Bo Nix, listen, he is the most important piece to this entire Auburn football team. The secondary is going to be good. I think the defense is going to be above average. I think they can keep teams out of the end zone. But you're going to have to see some progress from Bo. He's got to have some legitimate guys to throw the football to. You know what you're getting in Tank Bigsby. You you, you kind of know what you have with your offensive line. Bo Nix is probably going to be under some pressure this year. Bo Nix is going to have to have to be a have to have a much better presence in the pocket, guys. I think last year's rollout left, rollout right, 
But in the pocket, it, the limited amount of time that he's going to have in the pocket, I think, especially early on in the year, he's just going to have to stand in there and make some throws. And Bo Nix, what we saw is his freshman year, will Auburn to some victories. He's going to have to do a little bit of the same this year. And they're going to be able to rely on Tank. I think he's going to be able to run behind a, a probably you know a middle-tier t- middle SEC offensive line. Tank Bigsby's that good. But Bo Nix is going to have to make some plays with his arm. I think we're all in the same range of players that we should be selecting from. All of these players, extremely important. And I'll address each one of them, and then I'll go to mine real quick. Tank Bigsby, extremely important to what Auburn's going to be trying to do because their offensive game plan, I believe, will be built around what Tank Bigsby can do and the amount of touches that he will get, whether it's 20, 25. I think he's going to get around that area, some combination of rushes and receptions, And then you talk about Bo Nix. He's the quarterback, most important player on the team. But then I also say you got to find a way to help Bo Nix. And is the running back position the answer to helping Bo Nix or is the offensive line the answer to helping Bo Nix? And if I had to pick one position on the offensive line, which is the answer to my question, I would say it's left tackle whether it's Austin Troxel or Alec Jackson, we don't know who the starting left tackle is yet, but I agree with Jeremy that Bo Nix is obviously the most important player on the football team, but also think that he can't be nearly as effective if not for a good offensive line. So maybe the most important player on this team could be, or if the most important unit on this team could be the offensive line, which I think is true for any team, but maybe more so true for Auburn because Bo Nix severely needs the help up front. Yeah, I I agree. I think it's definitely an area that Auburn has struggled in the past couple of seasons. And listen, you can't get Bo Nix or Tank Bigsby going if you don't have a good O-line. And we've seen Bo Nix struggle without a good offensive line in the past. Again, I talked about it on yesterday's show. Uh, If you're out there listening after we're done with the show, get on YouTube and go watch some quarterback uh, analysis of Bo Nix during that Georgia game. That offensive line was not helping him out at all and he he it caused a lot of struggle for him and it caused a lot of struggle for Tank too uh, throughout the entire season just imagine what Tank could do potentially behind a a competent offensive line fully healthy I think this backfield is incredibly talented so I think whenever you look at to choose what's the most valuable part or who's the most valuable player on this team, I think the defense is on lock. I think they're going to they're gonna be able to hold their own and do their thing, but I think it's got to come collectively from the offensive line, the quarterback, and the running back. Those are the three most important positions uh, for, for Auburn in 2021. Number to call, 334-321-1390. Text line at 334-564-1840. Who do you think? is the most important player for Auburn football in 2021. I want to pose this question to you guys. Which player or which position group, considering the offensive line is a part of this, which do you have more confidence in, the Auburn offensive line or Bo Nix going into the 2021 season? Because both of these guys, both of these groups, were on pretty shaky footing last year. I think I've got a little bit more confidence in, in Bo Nix. Uh, I just I just feel like I've seen a, a little bit more out of him as far as talent's concerned. That he has had moments where he is he has made just incredible plays where not a lot of quarterbacks in college football can make the throws and and make the 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 throws on the run and and they can't improvise as well as Nix can. So I've got more confidence in Nix. I just want to see the offensive line improve to the point where it can make him 
even better. So a, a lot of confidence in Bo Nix compared to the offensive line. I just I'm I'm worried about how they're going to improve, considering most of them, I believe, were upperclassmen last year. I just don't know how big of a jump they take. Now that may with Mike Bobo's new scheme, they may they may. But as far as confidence right now, I've got more confidence in Bo Nix. I don't think Bo Nix is bad. I just don't think, and I think it's. 75% of the reason Gus Malzahn isn't the coach anymore is that he never did anything to help Bo Nix. And you're talking about an Auburn receiving group last year that had one of the fastest players in college football, had a go up and get the football guy in Seth Williams. Um, they had some good receivers and they ran absolutely nothing to help Bo Nix. I think Bo Nix drastically improves this year from inside of the pocket and that is because of the routes and the route combos that they're going to be running this year. It's going to be a little more quarterback friendly. We've seen quarterbacks make jumps. We've seen Joe Burrow go from zero to hero, first pick in the NFL draft, all based around a system that can help the quarterback get the ball out of his hand quickly, number one, but get the ball to his playmakers. And that can only help Bo Nix. I just don't have any really any confidence in this Auburn offensive line. You're, you're throwing names at Austin Troxel and some other guys. Bo Nix, with this passing scheme, and I think Bobo is going to be able to get the ball out of Bo Nix's hand quicker. That's where it's going to rely this year. I think they're going to have to pass to open up the run so there's not as much pressure on the five guys up front. Bo Nix has at least shown us stuff, right? Yeah, yeah. That's exactly what you and Lance are saying here. Bo Nix has shown us up to be able to succeed despite poor offensive line play, despite a poor scheme. I think he has shown us the ability to win football games now not necessarily beat great teams he has struggled against the good teams on his schedule but he's at least shown us fight he has shown us heart he has shown us effort and I think he has shown flashes of great plays throughout his time at Auburn despite poor offensive line play and then a scheme and I look at last year Jeremy you bring this up Auburn had solid receivers last year honestly Auburn had its best receiving core since 2010 I'd say and the 2010 was a diamond in the rough receiving core compared to the history of Auburn receiving cores yet they still Gus Malzahn and his scheme did not utilize them correctly as we talked about at length yesterday and Bo Nix still found ways to have Auburn competitive in games like Texas A&M and still find ways to win games that maybe even Auburn shouldn't have won last year I look at that old Miss game and the throw to Seth Williams who helped him make a play I just think we've seen enough fight from Bo Nix up to this point you look at the 2019 Iron Bowl I don't know why folks want to unseat the guy who has at least shown the ability to beat Alabama and play at least competitive enough to have his team in a chance to win the ball game back in 2019, and then he did win the ball game. He outdueled Mac Jones. I don't know. It's not. It's not. I don't know if he outdueled Mac no, Jones, he but he did win Mac the game. Jones. He did. Mac Jones lost the 2019 Iron Bowl. Bo Nix went out and won it. That's a fact. Look at the look at the touchdown to interception ratio and two pick sixes. <laughs> Bo Nix outdueled Mac. One Jones. quarterback scored for the other team. Yeah, I'm just saying. He, Twice it happened. We watched it happen on the field. I think the O line was a little better that year as well. I Definitely think, in pass I protection. The, the jury is still out on Bo Nix. It's just going to, I think, for, I think Bo Nix is the most important player, but he's going to have to have the guys up front if the system is not going to be set up for him to throw the ball quickly. I do want to get to a text. I, like I want to get to a text here real quick. The The number to text, 334-564-1840. We got a text from Trail, and he says, the team will go nowhere without Bo Nix being a better quarterback, and quarterbacks in all caps, arm talent, not just his legs. I agree with that. 
I should have asked this question, Jeremy. You told me too when I was putting together the rundown, and I just completely had a lapse in judgment. I should have asked the question: Who's the most important player for Auburn football outside of quarterback? Because I think that's a fair that's a fair assessment. Now, Lance went outside quarterback with Tank Bigsby, and that is a way to take pressure off of the most important position on the field. I went with O line for the same reason, but I, I do agree for all the reasons there with Trill's text, and then Jeremy, you as well. Bo Nix has to step up his play this year to take Auburn to the next to the next level. He's shown flashes, but he hasn't been consistent enough. I want to talk about the other team in this state, the team on the other side, the Alabama Crimson Tide. And let's go outside quarterback for this one. Let's go outside Bryce Young, most important player for Alabama football in 2021. Jeremy, you're the Alabama guy in the room. Take us through it. I think it's going to be Alabama's wide receiver, too. I think um, you know what you're getting in Brian Robinson. You've recruited – you know, nobody's worried about who's playing running back for Alabama. Is it Robinson? Mm-hmm. Is it Sanders? Is it McClellan? It's never been the make-or-break reason for Alabama exactly. winning a national championship. And, I mean, I don't think Scarborough was that great, but he was fine. Yeah, exactly. So, And you look at this offensive line, you you have Ekior back, you have Evan Neal, you can have Brocker Meyer or Latham at tackle or a guard. They're so versatile. You know that it's there. No, I don't, I'm not sure if many other teams could replace what Alabama's had to replace in the wide receivers room over the last few years. They bring in a, a slew of freshmen. But who is that wide receiver too going to be? I think you can rely on Mechie. He's got a lot of snaps under his belt, and he played a great wide receiver three last year. And sometimes last year, he was the go-to guy. Um, you don't think he's the go-to guy this year? I, I think he, that he can legitimately be a wide receiver one, but that's not enough in this Alabama set. Is it Billingsley? Does he emerge as a Kyle Pitts-type tight end wide receiver? Jameson Williams, the transfer from Ohio State. How Slate does he Bolden. play? Don't throw Slade Bolden out there. He fumbles every time. I mean, his his reception to fumble ratio has to be the highest in the country. I know a lot of Alabama fans, they they like Slade. It's fun to see him score a touchdown, but he's not a legitimate threat. Um second I, highest returning receptions on this roster. Yeah, that that's what I'm saying. How slim the wide receiver room is compared to the amount of catches and yards that have been put up over the last two years prior to this one is who is that wide receiver to? If it's Williams, that's fine. Is it a Jai Hall? That's fine. I think the most important player on this team is the guy that is going to give Bryce Young, the safety blanket where he doesn't have to stare down a guy like John Mechie. Somebody's got to emerge. I think you've seen it from Hall, and it could be Williams. We'll see. I really like that. I I had a really hard time picking because I I thought – I kind of went in the direction you did, Jeremy. I wanted it to be a guy from this receiver room because I have no issues with quarterback. I have no issues with running back. And in all honesty, I have no issues with this this entire team because if somebody goes down or if somebody's not performing, there's a five-star right behind them that's ready to play that's just as good, if not better. So whenever you talk about the most important piece for Alabama football, I mean, the most important piece is probably replaceable with just as talented of a piece. That being said, I think it's got to be John Mechie or like you said, that number two guy uh John Mechie's got to be able to lead this group this season and if he goes down you know I I don't necessarily have concerns for Alabama but like you said I don't necessarily want to be throwing to Slade Bolden and and true freshman every single play I I do I do like what uh you said about potentially having having that safety valve for Bryce Young uh I I would say that it's fair to say either Mechie or the number two guy I really like that I I hadn't necessarily thought about having that number two guy as the most important player but the way you explain it I really like that I really like that take I'm curious if there is a wrecker on the defensive side of the ball the linebackers are great they're going to be great at stopping the run I'm curious if there's someone in the front seven 
that is just going to dismantle offensive lines. We've seen that over the years at Alabama. I'm not so sure if they have that on the defensive line at the moment. I, I don't know who you point to. DJ Dale came about, a long you're talking way. About defensive but, line. Yes. Okay. We said front seven for a second. I was like, well, you know, they they got Chris Allen and Will Anderson, but defensive line wise, um, I think that you can you can look at Phil Mathis. You can look at Tim Smith. Um, there are some guys that can play that position. You have a Boydby. You have Byron Young. LeBron Ray yeah, is I was about back, to say LeBron Ray. Uh, which is probably why Boydby and Brian Young haven't had as much time on the field. Um, it, it, as you look at the depth chart, sorry, but I mean, it, with with LeBron Ray coming back, it feels like a sixth year. You can add some depth it's to only that a position. Junior. So I mean, well, it's COVID year too. I mean, yeah. it's, it got to think about that. So for Alabama, I think you're it's unproven, and I agree with you. Who is that guy on the defensive front outside of Will Anderson and Chris Allen? Um, they're going to have to put somebody out there. But with that being said, I also think you can go back to the secondary, and the secondary have co- has come such a long way from what we thought would have been a weakness last year, at least going into last season, considering there was so much inexperience. That turned into experience and actually a really solid unit. Now you're looking at the Alabama secondary as one of the best units in the SEC and thus one of the best units in all of college football. So I look at the secondary, and I'm wondering if someone can – is there a defensive back out there that can flip a game on its head? Because it's been more about the collective. One guy would show out one game, another guy would show out another game, and then so on and so forth. I mean, you had a list of Josh Job, Jordan Battle, Daniel Wright, Malachi Moore. Any one of those guys might have had one great game last year, and then for the rest of the season they would have been good defensive backs. But I want to know, is there a honey badger out there? Is there a ball hawk out there that is going to flip multiple games – across the season that is going to terrify quarterbacks or is it just going to be you know one one you know major game all year long and then it'll be someone else here there which neither are terrible things but I am curious is there a wrecker on the defensive line and is there someone in the secondary that's going to be the dude well you have Joe but I you you need to talk about what Patrick Sertan was able to do lock down at least uh one third of the field just out and out on an island his corner it always scares me to put a guy like Kool-Aid out there, true freshman. I think he's going to he play. Can, oh, he's going to play, but you can mentally get taken out of that cornerback position so fast. I, I think back to 2014 when Marlon Humphrey and Tony Brown were trying to cover Sammy Coates and Duke Williams, and it looked like they'd never be able to stop him. Kool-Aid's one of those guys. I think they're Malachi is back there, Brian Branch, Jordan Battle, DeMarco Hellams, Josh Job. I think Alabama, you're going to see that secondary progress. As the year goes on, I'm not sure how great they're going to be in maybe the first four or five games. And there's some tricky games right there, including against Derek King. Let's take a quick break here. When we come back, I want to revisit a conversation that Jeremy and I had a year ago. I asked him what, and, and I wrote an article on this as well, five reasons why Alabama could not win the SEC championship. I wrote that last season. Haven't done it this season. I want to tackle a couple of reasons why Alabama won't win the SEC championship in 2022, or at least if they weren't to win, why they didn't. So let's take a quick break here. You're listening to On the Line. Back on On the Line, Noah Gardner and Lance Dawn with you on ESPN 106.7 and Fox Sports Central Alabama. Jeremy Law of Radio Alabama Sports with us for only about eight more minutes. And then we'll have Justin Ferguson of the Auburn Observer joining us at 2.30 to talk the latest going on in Auburn athletics. But I teased this going into this segment. Last year I wrote an article, something along the lines of, five reasons why Alabama won't win 
the 2020 SEC championship, at least written from the perspective. Me, I wasn't saying that they wouldn't. I was just saying if they weren't to win it, what would have held them back? Can I see the reasons? Read off your top five. I don't even have the hey, article in front of me. One right of now. them was Mac Jones, and we both agreed on that. Like he, but he, Another one was DBs. Yeah. And I, it, they got better as the season went along. Mac Jones could have won the Heisman just as well as anybody else. We were had a lot of questions. What what a year last year for the amount of question marks going into an Alabama season. You didn't know how good they'd be at linebacker. Heck, the guy that started 14 games the year before at linebacker didn't even play linebacker last year. Shane Lee fell on the bench. I mean, Pete Golding was, I think, your reason number three. It was. Yeah. So, I mean, you talk about – I mean, what are your reasons this year, Noah? Is this what we're getting into? Well, I want to open this up for everybody. Number to call, 334-321-1390. You can also text us at 334-564-1840. Lance, do you have any reasons off the top of your head right now why Alabama may not win the SEC championship this upcoming football season? Well, I think it's obviously just, I think the first thing you got to look at is lack of returning production. Of course, that's not stopped Alabama at any point in the past under Nick Saban, but if you if you had to point to something, I think it would be inexperience at quarterback, and then you look at the receiver room, and there's not a lot of production coming back there. And, you know, it's it's always hard to break in a freshman quarterback and to get him comfortable in a new system. Obviously, new offensive coordinator Bill O'Brien um, but it's again, it's not stopped Alabama in the past. They've always been able to reload. They've always been able to get guys comfortable. We saw what happened with Jalen Hurts in 2016. He was able to get into that system pretty quickly and, and, and was able to play comfortably in that offense. Um, but but if I had to point out something, it's just inexperience and just not, not a lot of coordinator production coming back. Um, and then I think another thing to look at, and this is, this is not necessarily a huge issue, but Alabama's defense, statistically, along with all of college football, has been progressively sliding backward every single year for the past four or five years now. Whenever I say sliding backward, I mean it's been very, very slight. But progressively, the defense has gotten worse. And so my question is, is can they can they get back on track and can they get back to the days of 2011, 2012, 2013 when they were playing some legitimate uh, defense and they still are they still are by, by by no means are they a bad defense or are they going to continue to to fall off and whenever they face some of these high-flying high-octane offenses are they going to struggle just a little bit more than they have in the past I think that's something else you have to have to look at so the article title from last year five reasons from an Auburn graduate why Alabama won't win the 2020 SEC championship and my five were Mac Jones inexperienced defensive backfield pete golding special teams and more competition in the sec and last season did end up developing a little bit differently all of those especially special teams you're talking about a guy that went 14 for 14 from field goals but to go back with with what lance was saying i i think defensively there was an interesting thread on twitter the other day i think uh some some important i guess you would consider alabama Twitter, tweeters, whatever you call them. That is a place that I don't want to venture into. I've well, been sucked into a few were, times. They were talking about defensive expectations, and I, they were said they don't care. Essentially, the 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 consensus was we don't care how many points we're giving up, how many yards we're giving up. That's a lot we, until we it's just, actually no, 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 in no, the no, game. No. We want to be first. That's it. Twenty eleven didn't Alabama give up less than seven points per game? They pitched like four shutouts that year. Uh, one of them in the national title game. You're giving up six points per game or something like that. They gave up 19 last year. They're still first in the SEC in PPG. That's where Alabama's standard still is. The days of giving up 24 or less is, you know, 
That, that's a, that's There's over. fewer and fewer teams doing it. That's over for a lot of college football programs. And Alabama didn't really – they did it a few times last year. They also gave up 40 a couple times last year. So it's just – those days are done. It is how good can they be compared to their peers. And as long as they're first, I think Alabama's okay with that. Right. And my point being, as far as the defense, you know, in all of college football, giving up more and more and more points as the years go on, my point being is that not, that's not necessarily con- a concern if the offense is scoring. But at the same time, if Bryce Young isn't able to figure things out and they run into some of these other high-flying offensives, they may lose a game that, that they normally would win, like that Ole Miss game last season. Correct. I agree with that. What I mean, what if Ole Miss sneaks up again and scores 42 on you and Bryce Young has a two interception game? You got to realize in last year's Ole Miss game, Mac Jones, didn't he lead Alabama to like seven consecutive touchdown drives in a stretch in that game? I mean, he yeah. had to play a perfect game just to save Pete Golding, who I think if he loses that game, he might be fired. He may not finish the year as defensive coordinator. And then you see how the defense turned out. There could be one of those games this year, and if you don't have four first-round draft pick receivers like Mac Jones had last year, you could be in trouble. I'll add to this. Mac Jones was one of my reasons last year. I'll say Bryce Young is one of my reasons this year. If Alabama doesn't win it, it'll have come from issues at the quarterback position. Now, issues with Alabama at the quarterback position is a little bit different than issues with anybody else at any position anywhere in college football. Jalen Hurts... I don't think was the right fit for Alabama at quarterback. And I think a lot of Alabama fans, a lot of folks watching Alabama football would agree with that. And it was a big reason why Alabama was held back in 2017. And guess what? They make a change at quarterback and they win the national championship with Tua Tungvaloa. Bryce Young is a youngster still. He's a freshman. He's got limited experience, really no experience in major college football. Just a few mistakes and if they all happen to come in one or two games, could be enough to hold Alabama back. Don't y'all think it's weird that it's just a consensus that Bryce Young is going to be a Heisman finalist? Like, you go into last year, you, you're talking about Mac Jones is the liability, and he's up there as a Heisman finalist. And I go back to the Blake Barnett days, uh, Jalen Hurts' second year, where everybody thinks he's going to set the world on fire. And those all kind of fell through. I think just as much as we're giving Bo Nix time to see if he can develop I think there's a much added pressure on on Bryce Young just having to come out and be a superstar, kind of like the, everybody did with Spencer Rattler earlier last early last year, to where dude, he hasn't started a game. I mean, let, let's pump the brakes for a second. Lance, who do you think is going to be better in Game One, Derek King or Bryce Young? Honestly. I think Derek King is going to be a little bit more polished than Bryce Young. I think Alabama will win that game, but I think Derek King will just look slightly better than Young in his first game. Let's take a quick break here on On the Line. When we come back, we got Justin Ferguson of the Auburn Observer. Jeremy, appreciate you spending your time with us today. Thanks, guys. Stay on the line. More of the show when we come back. Back on the line, Noah Gardner and Lance Dahl with you on ESPN 106.7 at Fox Sports Central Alabama. Tuesday afternoon, so that means Justin Ferguson of the Auburn Observer joining us on the show today. Justin, how you doing today, my man? I'm doing well. How are y'all? We're doing really well, doing really well. Separate locations today. It's funny, all three of us, the the wonders of technology, all three of us from remote locations conversing here on On the Line. 
So I guess all three of us are on the line, right? But Justin, we appreciate you taking the time to talk with us today. Earlier on in the show, we were talking about who's the most important player for Auburn football in 2021 and not totally a consensus of that it is Bo Nix, but I do want you to go outside of the quarterback position. Who would be a player that you would say is the most important football player for Auburn in 2021? Yeah, I think the easy answer there, if you're not going Bo Nix, is, is Tank Bigsby because he's the best player on your offense. I think he's, you know, last season um, when when he was playing well, Auburn's offense was at its best. I, I expect that to continue uh, this upcoming season with the way that Brian Harson and Mike Bobo like to call uh, their offense, how they like to build around kind of a power running game. And, uh, yeah, I mean, he, he has the potential to be one of the best running backs in college football this season. And if you have that kind of weapon, no matter what the – the passing game may look like early on uh, this season for Auburn. You can build around that. So I think I think there's a lot of value in a guy like like Tank Bigsby. Um, you know, I think he'll be able if if he can be what he was at his best last season and kind of continue to develop and add on to it. Uh, he's somebody that can help Auburn out uh, a lot, especially early as the passing game tries to come together with all the new wide receivers and with Bo Nix, you know, trying to take that step forward in a new offense. On a scale of 1 to 10, how confident would you be in Auburn's offense if Bonix either went out with an injury or was replaced and TJ Finley was starting at quarterback? How confident would you be with Finley and Tank in the backfield? Would they score? Yeah, I think they would. I, I think, you know, the, you know they've, the, the thing with Bonix and, and, and TJ Finley is I think they posted very similar numbers last season. I think Nix has more experience obviously he's more mobile he can get himself out of trouble a lot better um you know the thing with tj finley is i think he's done a better job of kind of stretching the field uh as a quarterback and being a little bit more effective with his deep balls you know it, it would it would look different because i think if bo Nix is your starting quarterback you're going to be able to do some more things with mobility with your quarterback you're going to be able to do some things like rollouts you're going to be able to run some design running plays TJ Finley, you're really not going to do that with him. That's not his game. That's not his style. Um, so I think that's it would be different, but I think it would definitely work. Um, you know, I I think it would be a step back just just because Nix has that familiarity with the rest of his teammates on offense. He's 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 been the starting quarterback for the last two seasons. But you know, I think with the new staff and the new scheme and, and what we saw from Finley when he was able to stay protected and kind of get into a rhythm last season at LSU it wouldn't be that much of a big drop-off. And that's why I think also um, it's what makes you know fall camp so fascinating because Auburn has kind of told T.J. Finley um, he's going to have every opportunity to compete for this job, even though I think it would be very tough for him to knock off Knicks in, in the preseason. Earlier, we also discussed which group or which player do we have more confidence in, and we narrowed it down to these two. Who do you have more confidence in, the offensive line or Bo Nix in terms of being able to elevate their play this year? Yeah, I will go with uh, I'll go with Bo Nix just because I, you know, the thing there is he is he's got talent. I mean, everybody can kind of see that. It's just consistency that's kind of eluded him. He was a five star for a reason. He's won some big games for Auburn for a reason. He's made some big plays for a reason. He's a, he's a good football player. It's just the consistency and the the inconsistency of you know Auburn's own offense has really he's kind of been kind of the face of that over the last couple of seasons. But, you know, looking at Brian Harson and, and, and Mike Bobo's track record with quarterbacks, uh, guys that they've inherited, uh, guys that they've gotten later in their careers, they have a pretty good track record of getting of, of taking quarterbacks to the next level. 
Um, you know, and we've seen that several stops in their career, several different types of quarterbacks, they've been able to kind of improve them uh, after getting their hands on them. So, you know, do I think Bo Nix is going to become an all SEC quarterback this season? Probably not. That would be a very tough, um, you know, you know, prediction to make, obviously. Um, but do I think Bo Nix can be a quarterback that can, you know, take that step forward and win games for Auburn uh, this season that, you know, he hasn't been able to win or play the games he hasn't really been able to play these last couple of seasons with some inconsistency? Yeah, absolutely. Um, whereas I think on the offensive line, it's an experienced group. Um, I think they will get better just naturally just being back together more this season um, and, 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 you know, getting some new coaching with a guy uh, you, know, you, you with a guy along your offensive line has done it at the SEC level before him, Will Friend. Um, but I do think the thing with Auburn's offensive line is I think there is a cap to how good they can be this season. Um, just because you know Auburn has not recruited at a really high level on the offensive front, um, and so I think there you might see a kind of a limit of just how good they can be. Um, because I mean this is a group that isn't loaded with a lot of the blue chips that you see the teams that win at the line of scrimmage the SEC have. Justin, I asked you this hypothetical for your mailbag on the Auburn Observer last week, and I want to throw it out here again just so that our listeners can get your thoughts on this hypothetical. But in this hypothetical situation heading into 2021, which quarterback would you rather have, Bo Nix right now the way he is, or would you rather have Jarrett Stidham transferring in from Baylor to Auburn without having played at Auburn yet? Yeah, that's a great question, and I loved I loved that question. I think in the mailbag, it's like I think people would go with Stidham uh, at this point, and I think that makes sense because I think Jarek Stidham, when you saw him early in his career at Baylor, yes, the sample size was a little smaller, but he was putting up some really good numbers at Baylor, and that was kind of the hype around him. It's like, man, he's a former five star, and look at the look at the potential he's got, and look at what he did, you know, in a limited sample size at Baylor. Whereas with Bo Nix another former five-star he's been through the fire before but we have seen we've gotten two years now where his numbers have not been overly great especially in terms of pass accuracy so I think you know Auburn fans would be you know if you could get a Stidham like player right now they'd be really excited at it I think um you know and then I think you could also kind of parallel it with like okay well you've got a new staff coming in this would be a good time to hit the hit the reset button um but you know Auburn does not have is that type of transfer coming in. They have a transfer in T.J. Finley, who is very much kind of like Bo Nix in terms of his stats last season and the fact that he is very, very young still. So, um, yeah, it, that was a fascinating question for sure just because I think, you know, we did see um, a couple years later, I think every Auburn fan in the world was wanting to see uh, Bo Nix, you know, or I guess Joey Gatewood for, for some fans um, come in, you know, when you know Jarrett Stidham could have came back for that 19 season. Uh, so I think there's a, a lot of the unknown and a lot of the that 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 un, un, you know that question potential which you you haven't really seen yet. I think that's what gets Auburn fans really excited. So that's why I think people would go with Stidham in that aspect. Shifting over to the wide receiver room now, as we're speaking with Justin Ferguson of the Auburn Observer, you are someone with a lot of knowledge when it comes to football. You do a lot of film rooms and whatnot, and we've been digging into some of the numbers on Demetrius Robertson and how he was used at Cal and how he was used at Georgia through some of the various resources that Pro Football Focus has. And 90% of the time at Cal, he was split out wide. 90% of the time at Georgia, he was in the slot. How do you think Auburn utilizes Demetrius Robertson? Yeah, I think it's just going to be kind of one of those where it depends on how everybody else around him does. I think Demetrius Robertson is the guy you bring in and say, okay, well, 
You know, you can play on the outside. You know, you can play on the inside. Um, so it's just what is what is Auburn better off at? Or are they better off in the slot right now? Is a guy like Javarius Johnson uh, ready to kind of become a guy for them, like a reliable starter type player this year? Or would they be better off putting him in the slot? And, you know, what do you do on the outside? Um, is Kobe Hudson ready to take that step forward at, at, at Planker and be the guy? So I think it's going to just depend on, you know, where, you know, where they feel the most comfortable with in their depth around them. I, I would say just eyeballing it and then going back and watching the film on him from his last couple seasons in Georgia. I, I would rather, if I was in Auburn's, you know, if I was an Auburn coach and looking ahead to the season, if I had to kind of pick out where he needed to be right now, I would probably lean more towards the outside because even in the times when he played on the outside at Georgia, and there weren't a ton of them, but he did it, you know, late last season, there was a, there was a good bit of uh, film on him uh, towards the end of the year where he got to play out wide. I think he's really effective in that area. I think his speed is very, is very good uh, in those areas. You can be very, um, you know, you can do a variety of things with him at that spot, including kind of the end arounds and using him as a rusher uh, in that, in that capacity. So I would probably, yeah, I'd be interested to see where they end up putting him because Javarius Johnson had such a good spring. If he can carry that over the fall, I think you could see some sort of scenario where your top three quote unquote receivers in terms of your depth chart next season would be, you know, somebody like Xavion Capers or, uh, or Elijah Canyon at that split end position. You put Demetrius Robertson over on flanker and the Z. Uh, and then in the slot, you could get Javarius Johnson. That makes the most sense to me, uh, but there is a scenario where Auburn feels more confident about their outside guys, and they see that Robertson's got a lot of uh, potential uh, down the middle of, of, of an offense, and, and, and you know, his reliability and his ability to get open uh, in the slot might be where, where they want to go. You said that your most important, most valuable guy for Auburn outside of Bo Nix this season is Tank Bigsby, but when you look at this defense, and Auburn's got some depth there, who would you say is the most valuable player on this defense? Auburn obviously has two very talented linebackers in Papo and McLean. They've got McCreary and Smoke, but who's the most valuable guy in your eyes? Yeah, I think the most valuable player in this this defense for, for 2021, just right off the top, is a guy like a, 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 an Owen Papo. And I say it to say this, Owen Papo can do so many different things in defense. Um, you know, people might say Jacoby McLean. I think Jacoby can have a huge season. People might say Roger McCreary makes a lot of sense. But Owen, I think, you know, they can find – like Owen's going to be able to find ways to get on this field in a, in a variety of ways. Not just being an inside linebacker, but he is such a good coverage option at linebacker. He's such a good pass rusher at linebacker. He's a good run stopper. He can do some of everything at a really, really high level. His athleticism is second to none. This defense is going to be a little bit more varied. It's going to be a little bit more versatile, what they ask their linebackers to do. So I think that checks a lot of boxes there for him. Um, and so I think in this day and age of college football, if you I mean, you can have a lockdown corner on one side of the field and you can have a really good run stop and linebacker and you, you can really use you know a really good pass rusher. But I think you know the way teams are attacking the middle of the field you want your linebackers, you want some of those guys to, to, to kind of overcome the matchup problems that you see over the middle of the field. And Owen's one of those guys that whether you're running at him or throwing it to him, uh, he can do he can do that really really well. So I, I would I would go with Owen just because I think um, you know his versatility just makes him such an extremely valuable player, especially in this type of defense. I see a lot of similarities between Owen Papo and the linebacker that the Cleveland Browns drafted in Owusu Koromoa. What do you think Owen yep. Papo's draft trajectory could be like this season for Auburn? 
Yeah, it's, it's going to be fascinating to watch because, you know, first round might be a little tough unless he has a, just a fantastic season. People might look at him and say, eh, he's a little too small. Uh, you know, when he was coming out of high school, a lot of people thought maybe he could be a safety in the NFL. And it'd be very interesting to see uh, if, if that's kind of the plot they have him out. But I think with the way football is going, you've seen more and more of these smaller linebackers, um, you know, guys who can play well in space, uh, get roles. Um, where, as you know, you you have to have a linebacker who can cover, um, you know, in modern football. Otherwise, you're kind of dead with the way the teams spread the field and throw the ball around now. Owen checks a lot of those boxes, and I do think, you know, you mentioned Alusa Kamara from uh, from Notre Dame. That's a very similar body type. That's a very similar skill set. And uh, yeah, I think he believe, I think he went second round, I believe, maybe late first. But yeah, it, it's one of those things where I think that's kind of his range because he's a freak athlete. He's going to be able to plug into any sort of system. Um, but yeah, I, I'd be very curious to see what the NFL team does because I think any defense could draft him and find a role for him. Um, it's just going to be you know very interesting to see who does what and uh, you know how much they value a guy who might not be the biggest dude in the world, but he plays a lot bigger and a lot faster than his size. Justin, appreciate you taking the time to hop on with us today. Tell everybody where they can find all your great content. Yeah, AuburnObserver.com. Check it out. Uh, We've got a newsletter out yesterday on the film room on Demetrius Robertson uh, that you can read. Uh, tomorrow I'm going to have a story up on uh, on Jabari Smith, kind of digging into some numbers um, uh, about kind of his you know, first-year impact and how kind of rare he is as a player uh, coming into this Auburn program. Mailbag out on Friday. We're going to do some fun stuff with the podcast later in the week as well. So, AuburnObserver.com, sign up there. $6 a month or $60 a year gets you access to everything we got going on. Justin, I appreciate you, my man. I hope you have a great rest of your week and then uh, into next week as we go to media days. Absolutely. I'll be good. That was Justin Ferguson of the Auburn Observer here on the line with us. Let's take a quick break, and when we come back, we wrap up our number one. Power number one upon the line, Noah Gardner and Lance Dahl with you on ESPN 106.7 at Fox Sports Central Alabama. If you want to call in, 334-321-1390. Text line at 334-564-1840. Whatever's on your mind, but also we've posed some thought-provoking questions today. Most important player for Auburn football in 2021. Most important player for Alabama football in 2021, as well as which do you have more confidence in to step up their game this year? The offensive line or the quarterback position as in Bo Nix? So a lot of great questions for you to answer. 334-321-1390 if you want to call in. Text line at 334-564-1840. We wrap up our number one here with a little MLB talk as Auburn has seen four players selected across the last two days of the 2021 MLB draft. It started off yesterday with, of course, Ryan Bliss in round two going to the Arizona Diamondbacks. And then you also saw Richard Fitz to the New York Yankees and Tyler Miller to the Boston Red Sox. Those were day two selections. And then today, the only player off the board, Stephen Williams, to the defending champs of the Washington Nationals. A good group here 
headed out to the next level, Lance. Yeah, I'm just excited for Bliss and, and the rest of these guys. I'm excited that Bliss was able to go as high as he did to the Diamondbacks. And, you know, honestly, I'm just excited for this program. It was a down year for Auburn in, in the SEC in baseball. And, you know, obviously Auburn had their struggles and they, they had a really hard time getting over the hump against a lot of SEC competition. But to be able to see four guys get drafted out of that group, and I know that there are tunnel rounds in the MLB draft and that allows for stuff like that. But I'm just excited to see some of these guys take get taken off the board I think Bliss is going to be something special whenever you watch his game you know it reminds you a lot of Mookie Betts the way that he gets low and into his swing I think he's going to be an exceptional player at the next level I think he's really talented and again just excited for this group as a whole Richard Fitz going to the Yankees something about that just seems right I don't know something about a giant really tall pitcher that is wearing the pinstripes something about that seemed right that's probably my favorite selection of the draft so far nothing against the other guys but something about Richard Fitz going to the New York Yankees seems like it fits (laughs) no pun intended no pun intended oh man that's kind of happened that's awesome that's fantastic I really hope that the Yankees can develop him and bring him along as a pro prospect love to see him rise up through the ranks and eventually one day dawn the pinstripes it's it's really fun to see Auburn pitchers now that we saw a couple of years ago with Casey Mize Keegan Thompson's rising up through the minor leagues as well and then Tanner Burns still in the early stages of of it as well but it's fun to see some legitimate contenders in some of these minor league systems that are beginning to rise up Casey Mize did it lightning fast and now he's with the Tigers and it's been fun to watch him in the MLB, I can't wait to see some of these studs that were starters at Auburn and Fitz. I don't think he ever really maximized his potential at Auburn, but that's what MLB teams are there for. And and I would not be shocked with his size, with his frame, with his ability, and how everybody's talked about him if he does not one day end up. I, I will be shocked if he doesn't one day end up in the big leagues. Whether it's with the Yankees or not, I don't know. But I, I'm excited to see some of these guys end up actually being starters because outside of Casey Mize, where, where can you look to? for starting pitchers in the MLB. There aren't, there, there aren't any of them, uh, at, from Auburn at least. And right. so that's, that's where I'm trying to – I'm, I'm hoping Auburn can create a space for that a bit. And the MLB. Yeah, and I think they definitely are car- carving out carving out a path for some of their pitchers, especially over the last three or four seasons. And a guy that I'm excited about because I'm I'm a big Cubs fan, Keegan Thompson. You know, he's not been t- half bad for the Cubs. He's got a 1.6 for ERA, three and two win loss record. I'm really excited to see what he can do as he continues to climb the rankings. And you know, he's sitting in that Cubs bullpen. But you know, like you said, I'm just excited for all these different pitchers that are getting their opportunities. And when you look at a guy like Fitz, you know, I don't know if he's necessarily going to. Be be able to climb up as quickly as we saw with guys like Mize because uh, because Mize was an exceptional talent but I definitely think he's going to be able to get his own he's going to get his chance and you know I think he's going to be able to make do with it some Alabama players selected in the draft as well Peyton Wilson was the highest drafted he went to the Kansas City Royals his slot value worth one million dollars that was more than any of the other guys right-handed pitcher Dylan Smith to the to the Detroit Tigers right-handed pitcher Chase Lee to the Texas Rangers catcher Sam Prater the Miami Marlins right-handed pitcher Tyler Ross today to the Colorado Rockies so a, a nice a nice group of Alabama players as well getting selected five total up to this point for the Crimson Tide going the MLB draft Alabama cleaned up in what was one of their more talented teams that they have seen in recent memory and making the postseason was definitely a result of that yeah I'm, I'm gonna be honest with you if it ain't Auburn 
getting drafted in the MLB. Who cares? Especially <laughs> if it's Bama. Nobody wants to hear that. I do. I will say. Respect to Alabama for not having, uh, like Auburn, a stellar season and getting five guys drafted. I mean, that's impressive. And I don't know a whole lot about MLB and the way the draft process works and how many guys get taken off of these different schools, but I will say this for the SEC. They get their guys drafted. That's it for hour number one of On the Line. We've got a packed hour number two coming up, just like it was in hour number one. We talk about who will be the go-to receiver for Bo Nix this season. Will he have a go-to receiver this year? Also, Auburn football schedule analysis. We get to the South Carolina Gamecocks coming up. Hour number two, 3 o'clock. We'll be back. You are on the line. Live on Fox Sports Central Alabama on 98.3 FM in Birmingham and Sylacauga and in Auburn on ESPN 1067 or online on FoxSports983.com and ESPNAU.com. You are on the line with Noah Gardner and Lance Daw. Join the show by calling in at 334-321-1390 or toll free at 888-382-7500. Hour number two of On the Line, Noah Gardner and Lance Dahl with you on ESPN 106.7 and Fox Sports Central Alabama. Number to call, 334-321-1390. We're taking your calls all throughout here. Hour number two is wide open for the full hour. We're taking your calls, 334-321-1390. Text line as well, 334-564-1840. Noah Gardner and Lance Dahl here with you for the Tuesday edition of the show. And I tease this coming into hour number two. Will there be a go-to receiver this season for Bo Nix? And if so, who will it be? We went into a deep dive yesterday. And if you missed yesterday's show, go and find the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartRadio. Go and find that. And you can hear the deep dive we went into with Bo Nix's targets last year, who he distributed his passes to the most who was seeing the most contested targets, all of that. We had a breakdown of that yesterday on the show, so go and find that podcast. And that led me to today wondering, will there be a go-to receiver this season for Bo Nix? And if so, who will it be? Lance, take it away. And all those numbers that we checked out yesterday just proves that Malzahn's offense was was not working out for, for some of Auburn's receivers. And Auburn had talent last season, and I think they've got some exceptional talent on roster this year as well. Uh, it's just some incredibly young guys. You know, when you talk about having that go-to guy, having a Seth Williams type of guy on your roster this season, I'll just go ahead and say it. I don't know if we're going to see that production-wise from a guy this year. Uh, Like you said yesterday, I think it's going to be a little bit more spread out than we saw last season because you look at the guys at the top, you've got Robertson, Hudson, Canyon, uh, those kind of guys, and you know, Canyon's been been the bailout guys for for two games in a row for Knicks, but you bring in a five star in Demetrius Robertson, he's going to be able to do a lot for Knicks in this offense. So I think it's kind of up in the air. I think both Canyon and Robertson and Hudson are all going to be able to get their own, but I think it's going to be spread out. I'm not saying it's going to be evenly perfect, but whenever you talk about you know having that go to guy, having that one reliable receiver, I don't think Knicks necessarily is going to 
saying have that sounds like it's bad, but also at the same time, I think it's really good for defenses not to be able to necessarily focus in on one specific receiver and clamp down on them and clamp down on this offense. It's very similar to what uh, Jeremy was talking about with John Mechie. You know, people are going to be able to focus in on him if Alabama can't get some other targets involved in the passing game a little bit, and that's going to make Bryce Young struggle. Uh, if if other receivers can't get open because he's going to be staring down Mechie the entire time with Bo Nix this season, you know he was staring. He like like Terry said he was staring. Uh, t- uh, he was staring Seth Williams down just a little bit last season. Uh, and you look at the receivers this year again. We don't know a whole lot about these guys, but it looks like the the receiver room is going to be it's it's wide open right now, and I think it's going to be uh, pretty even uh, this season. So I'm going to say I don't think Bonix is going to have one specific go-to guy this season, but I think that's a good thing because Auburn's got so, so much talent at this receiver room. It's just so young, but he'll be able to get the ball to all these different guys. So then let me ask this question. You say it's a good thing. Is it better for him to have a go-to guy, or is it better for the love to be spread? Do you, do you think it's okay? that there may not be a go-to guy in this room or would it be better to have one I think it's nice to have your 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 one guy that's like Robertson where he has a lot of experience he's a veteran he's going to be able to to get that third down but I think it's also nice at the same time to have Hudson Canyon Johnson Capers Malcolm Johnson Jr those guys that you can also look to so I I would say I would say that it's nice to have that go-to guy um, but in Auburn's situation, it's not a bad thing that they're just going to be able to spread the ball around a little bit more than the Knicks did last season. Uh, I don't think it's a bad thing. I don't think it's a bad thing. And we will see a guy emerge as, as Bo Nix's Nicks, favorite target. I just don't think it's going to be as dramatic volume-wise as we saw with Seth Williams and some of the other receivers last season. I think it's, Again, I think it's going to be a little more even. But no, I think it's a good thing to have your number one guy. Number to call, 334-321-1390. Text line at 334-564-1840. Will there be a go-to receiver this season for Bo Nix? And if so, who will it be? If not, is it okay that there isn't one? I'm kind of split on this. I, I think Auburn, I, I think maybe a better way for me to ask this question or, or another way to phrase go-to guy would be, is there going to be someone that emerges as a leader? Will someone emerge as a leading candidate as when you look at Auburn's receiver room, you say, oh, that guy without a doubt is the best receiver in Auburn's receiving room? Because right now we can postulate, we can think all we want about Demetrius Robertson and project that he's the best receiver coming into this room, which is a projection right now. It's the it is our it's our best guess at, at the moment, our best estimation considering his experience and, and what he did in the two years that he was healthy and able to get on the field. But will that materialize? What player will materialize as the best receiver in this room? And is there a substantial difference between that player and the other receivers? That is something that concerns me a little bit with this group because I do wonder if there is a solid number one option in this room at the moment. I think it's going to be, to be Demetrius Robertson, but as I just said, me and you can talk all we want these last couple of days about how this guy's automatically the best receiver in the room, how he's automatically elevating this group up, but at the end of the day, it still has to materialize, and that's the part where I continue to get tripped up on because there are many years where it actually doesn't materialize. Right, right, and so you're saying that you're not a, you're 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 hesitant to call Robertson a leader 
simply because we just haven't seen a whole lot of out of this receiver room as a whole. So it's really di- it's really difficult to speculate and think who's the guy when you haven't seen really any of these guys so far. Well, Robertson hasn't been the leader of a receiver room since his first season, right? Which was five years ago. Yep. So that is a little bit concerning in itself now do i think he has the potential to be a star to be the leader of this receiver room 100 percent, he's got the potential and i think there are other receivers in this room that are better poised to do that than others and so yeah i'm a little cautious i'm a little reserved and that is concerning for me just a bit when i talk about this receiver room i asked you if there will there be a go-to guy this year and you said probably not, which I would agree with you. I, I, I don't think – I'm more inclined to believe that this is going to be more of a collective and balanced approach, but I don't think that that's necessarily a positive. There is a positive way to spin that, that it's a more balanced passing approach that Auburn hasn't had the last couple of years. That's the positive way to look at it. But the negative way to look at it, too, is that Auburn might be lacking a true wide receiver number one that other teams in this league and in college, college football do possess. I think it's going to take a few games to find that guy, but I think Auburn will find that guy that is the leader. And I like 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 our caller said yesterday, he, you know, Bonix was was targeting Seth Williams a lot and we looked at the Pro Football Focus numbers and that reflected that. I want to be able to see Bonix not do that again this season because I feel like that hampered the offense at times. At the same time though, you do want to be able to have that guy that's your leader. You do want to be able to have that guy that's on third medium, third third and long you can look to and say, "We're going to try and get you the ball because you're our best playmaker, you're our leader, you're the veteran, you're the most experienced guy out in this group." whatever you want to call it just be a leader and go out there and play well I think that Auburn will eventually find that guy obviously there's going to be a hierarchy in terms of like statistics and then when on the field product whenever you look at this receiver room I think there is going to be a guy that stands out but again I just don't think it should and it won't be as dramatic as it was last season Bo Nix targeting Seth Williams the most out of any other receiver last year isn't what bothers me. It's the contested targets that mm-hmm. bother me. And pro football focus numbers show that Seth Williams was targeted, or at least had 30 contested targets, meaning Bonex threw into coverage 30 times last season, at least threw into Seth Williams' direction that many times last year when it was contested. 30 times. The next highest was three times, and that was to Anthony Schwartz. Nobody else had remotely close to the amount of coverage contested targets that Seth Williams had last year from Bo Nix. That's what concerned me the most out of last year and how zeroed in at times it seemed Bo Nix was on Seth Williams. Right. You can't see that again this year. That That's the real issue because there were 49 contested total targets last year from Bo Nix, which really isn't too bad. But 30 of them went to Seth Williams, which is bad. When, right. when nearly three-fifths of the amount of targets that were contested that you threw last year, which sometimes that's just that's going to happen. Sometimes opposing teams play great coverage, right? Right. But you can't just keep forcing the ball over and over again. Exactly. And I think that number suggests that. I don't know. I, I, I doubt we see that this year. New coaching staff, new passing scheme, a little bit more of a modern passing scheme, and I would assume a better passing scheme considering Mike Bobo and Brian Harson's track record with quarterbacks. The love will be spread around, but I still think – see, if Seth Williams was playing in this offense, he'd be a much more effective receiver. 
Something that that concerns me a little bit, and I agree with you. You can't force the ball so often to to your number one guy. It's going to cause problems in the offense. But something that concerns me is that Knicks was forcing that ball to Seth Williams with some senior talent around Williams in that offense. He was still forcing the ball to Williams. So I'm concerned that if Robertson does emerge and he's the best receiver in this field, that Knicks focuses in on him and he 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 becomes way too reliable on Robertson this season and none of these other young receivers get love because they're not necessarily able to, to get open as well as Robertson can. But it, but at the same time, Knicks is forcing it to Roberts, Robertson anyway. I think that's I don't think that's a way that it, it will shake out, but that is definitely a concern of mine because if you're not able to spread around to some of these these veterans, some of these senior receivers last season, are you going to be able to do it this season? Is that a concern you have at all, Noah, or do you think it, the ball is going to be spread around better than it was last season regardless, especially because of this new scheme? I think the answer to that question is actually another question that I want to pose your way. Was it a Bo Nix trait that he was forcing the football to one receiver, or was it indicative of the, the scheme last year? I think it was absolutely scheme. I think it was absolutely scheme that forced him to force the ball to Seth Williams. And I'm more inclined that way as well, considering quarterback is not the only position that has been hampered by the scheme the last couple of seasons at Auburn. I'm probably a little bit more inclined that way especially knowing that Auburn's offensive scheme, at least from a passing perspective, is a one-read offense. You have your first read, and then it's tuck it and run, or it's bail out and and throw the ball away. You got one read. That's it. These plays are designed for one of these receivers, and then it's run or throw it away. And we saw that a lot last year. And I think that possibly also fed into the tendency of Bo Nix leaving the pocket so often. One thing can be said, Bo Nix wants to extend a play, right? and he's keeping his eyes downfield and hoping his receivers stay open, scheme didn't help him that way. So I I would agree with you. I would say that the answer to that question certainly is in the fact that the scheme maybe forced Bo Nix into those those passes, maybe a little bit more than Bo Nix. But then that makes me wonder, is that tendency ingrained in him into which we will see him favorite a receiver this season. That will be interesting to see. Right, especially now that he's he's had two years in college to do so. And it's, I'm not we're not necessarily saying has Malzahn ruined Bonix to the point where he can't play. I think he's going to be able to get better in this new scheme. I think the the, the receivers are actually going to have routes that they run. I think Nix is going to look a little bit more comfortable. Um, all Twitter jokes aside, a question I want to pose to you, Noah, is I know we're talking about receivers, but we're talking about guys that Knicks can rely on. How often do you think Knicks is going to rely on Tank Bigsby throwing to him out of the backfield? Do you think we see that at all? Do we think? Do you think we see Shivers get involved in, at all in that this season? Tank Bigsby, I believe, will be used more than Sean Shivers in the passing game just by virtue of the frames the, the different physical assets that the two possess. Tank Bigsby's a bigger running back and thus has got more range in terms of being able to catch passes. But I think you see it out of the backfield more this year than you did last season or really the last couple of years. Think how Gus Malzahn used those running backs and how those offensive coordinators used those running backs. They were wheel routes. They were, they were sending them downfield like they were receivers rather than utilizing slip screens and whatnot out of the backfield. I mean, they'd use it occasionally, but not as much as I'd like to say, nor were they used as check down options a couple of yards in front of the line of scrimmage if things weren't what you wanted to be downfield. Once again, I go back to it was a one-read system, so it was if your option downfield didn't work, then it was run or throw the ball away. There weren't weren't outlet options, uh, hardly at all, 
I hope to see that more. Maybe maybe not designed passes, maybe not an uptick in designed passes for running backs because I still think there's evidence to suggest that Gus Malzahn did do that on a relatively consistent basis throughout his time at Auburn. But I want to see an uptick in checkdowns. I want to see an uptick in safety valve options for Bo Nix, whether that's running back or tight end. I don't care. I just want to see options. I, w- I want to see a, a progression. I want, I want to see the quarterback be able to go through reads, whether it's Bo Nix or TJ Finley, whoever it is that Brian Harson's got under center during his career at Auburn. I want to see those quarterbacks go through progressions. Yeah. That's the biggest area where the previous coaching staff failed Auburn quarterbacks. None of them, not a single one, showed the ability consistently. I won't say that they never showed the ability, but I'm going to say consistently they did not go through their progressions. Yeah, and Tank Bigsby, I think, is more physical than than a than a back like Alvin Kamara. But I do want to see uh, Tank Bigsby get involved in this offense more in the passing game. I think he's definitely got the ability to do so. If you get the ball to him in space, I think he's incredibly talented. I'd like to see Auburn have some Texas routes or just attack the middle of the field with a couple of these running backs. Get him involved in the passing game. See what they can do in, in space. I know Tank Bigsby is exceptional at breaking tackles. If you if you don't just hand it off to him, you also throw it to him. I think he's going to be just as a effective so I'd, I'd like to see that now how much I don't I don't think we should see it a ton but I think it's definitely something that should be a factor in this Auburn offense because I think any t- touch that you get tank Bigsby fully healthy I think is a good thing I wouldn't put a whole lot of stock into this but I brought up Auburn's receiving report on PFF from last season and tank Bigsby had a higher receiver grade than Malcolm Johnson Jr. Brandon Frazier Zavion Capers John Samuel Shanker Shedrick Jackson Luke Deal he had a higher receiver grade than those guys. Now, Tate Bigsby last season saw a total of 13 targets. The only one of those guys that saw more targets than Bigsby that I just named was Avion Capers, who got targeted 15 times, who actually had a really, really low receiver grade last season, only brought in 46% of the passes that were thrown his way. Now, once again, was that Capers' fault? That's that you'd have to go back and watch the film. You know, was that a bad pass? Was it contested? You know, where where they put him in the right situation? That's those are all valid questions to ask, but an interesting note there on Tate Bigsby definitely was a valid receiving option last year. And for freshman running backs at Auburn, he ranks up there in terms of what he offered in receiver production compared to previous backs like Carnell Williams and Michael Dyer and Ben Tate, Ontario McCaleb, all those guys as freshmen. Tate Bigsby's right up there in what he did as far as receiving production is concerned. And I think that's an indication of the future. How interested is this coaching staff in getting him the football that way? We'll have to see. I don't know. We didn't get enough of that in the spring game. And I don't, I don't think that they were going to reveal a bunch in the spring game. You said that yesterday. You're right. It was going to be a bland system, a bland scheme, bland play calling. Then I could reveal everything. And that was probably something that was held back was how they were going to use, utilize the running backs in the receiving game. But Let's take a quick break here. When we come back, we get into Auburn football schedule analysis. We're down to our last two games. South Carolina Gamecocks are up today. We'll be back. You're listening to On the Line. Central Alabama, number to call, 334-321-1390. Text line at 334-564-1840 through our Auburn football schedule analysis series. And I'll go ahead and say this, the tune-up game for the Alabama Crimson Tide. Lance, 
You've got these guys graded out. Let's start on the offensive side of the ball. Take it away. Starting with quarterback, we should expect to see Luke Doty start for the South Carolina Gamecocks this season. Uh, I have him graded as a C. And whenever, whenever you're thinking about like, well, how how good could Luke Doty actually be? It's like he's at, he wasn't very great last season. Well, I, I have a really hard time grading him underneath a C because C in our grading system means average in college football. And I don't think a starting SEC quarterback, unless it's like Vanderbilt, could could be worse worse than than uh, average in college football but Luke Doty was inc- it wasn't incredibly impressive last season he was uh, 43 of 71 for 405 yards two touchdowns and three interceptions he appeared in eight games last season but only attempted passes and only three uh, he his 41 rushes for 91 yards weren't incredibly stellar on paper but they offered a glimpse of the athleticism that made him the number four dual threat quarterback I believe it was yeah 2020 recruiting class uh, he was kind of thrown into it towards the end of the year he didn't really have a whole lot of time to prepare or to be able to get comfortable in this in the system and then obviously bringing bringing in Shane Beamer they're going to be operating just a little bit differently this this team this offense is trying to find its identity and obviously they're going to be able to rely on Kevin Harris, which we'll get to in a little bit. But Doty's got to be able to play. He's got to be able to play consistent this season in order for South Carolina to have any chance at making a bowl. Uh, I think he's got the potential to do it. Now, how good is he going to be? I'm not sure, especially given their tough schedule and their other issues on, on their team. So I've got him graded as a C. I think he's got upside, but we haven't seen enough of him to determine whether or not he's going to be something special. The amount in which South Carolina uses his legs will play a big part in his success as a quarterback this upcoming year. And considering Shane Beamer's coming from Oklahoma, they have a huge history of using quarterbacks to run the football. I mean, you think Spencer Radler's done it. I think Kyler Murray's done it. Even Baker Mayfield did it to a degree. Jalen Hurts, they, they know how to get their quarterbacks out in space and utilize their ability. What Luke Doty offers – his best quality that he offers at the moment. Now, that's not to say this passing game won't get there, but the best quality that Luke Doty offers at the moment is his rushing ability. He has, honestly, looking at the last couple South Carolina quarterbacks, this is, and I'm not dogging the guy, I just think that this is the most underwhelming arm that we've seen at South Carolina in in a little while. This is, you you track down, you go back through Ryan Holinsky and Colin Hill last year. He was, the worst arm in the room last year. And even this year, I don't think that the arm talent, at least what he showed last year, I don't think that the arm talent's quite there. Now, how much can Shane Beamer elevate that before this season? That is also an important question in terms of his success. I'm still not, I'm, I'm really low on Luke Doty going into this season, at least. And it's not all Luke Doty's fault. South Carolina is in full fledged rebuild mode. They are building. We, we said this a couple of weeks, there may be more talent, at least established, experienced talent on the Vanderbilt roster than there is on South Carolina at the moment. And that's not me, and you and I have joked a lot about this. It's not me saying that Vandy's going to a bowl game this year, but you know, you, you've got Kevin Harris at running back for South Carolina, then what else is there? What else is there? You know, there, There's not a whole lot on, on either side of the ball, and that hurts Doty as well because there's not a whole lot of options at receiver. Shai Smith is gone now. That was his last year last season he's got a running back beside him that could take a little bit of the heat off but if the passing game never flourishes then Kevin Harris could even see his rushing ability diminish a bit because of teams propensity to focus on him and guess what going into this season teams are going to be focusing on Kevin Harris because they know about him now right and let's go ahead and uh, grade Kevin Harris I've got him graded 
as an A. I think he's an exceptional running back. Uh, I, you look at his numbers from last season, he had over 100 rushing yards in five of his games last season. Two of them, he had at least 200 yards rushing. In that Ole Miss game, he had 243 yards and five touchdowns against a, a, a really, really porous Ole Miss defense. But still, I mean, 1,138 yards, 15 touchdowns in a season where you only played 10 games. I mean, that is exceptional. And for your offense not to be able to do much outside of you and for you to still be able to do that in an all-SEC slate, that's impressive. That's really, really impressive. And if Doty is struggling, like you mentioned, they're probably going to rely on Harris. Of course, teams are going to be a little bit more focused in on him now, but I still think he's going to be able to get his own. I still think he's an exceptional running back. I think he's got to be graded as an A. He's one of the best in all of college football. Uh, No questions asked. And he's also one of the best receiving backs in this league as well. He had towards the top amongst receiving running backs. He had 21 catches last year for 159 yards, 7.6 yards per reception and a touchdown. He's the second leading returning receiver for South Carolina. (laughs) <laughs> and that that says a lot about their receiver room i think when your running back is the second leading receiver and guess who their first is it's their tight end nick muse there is not a leading like among receivers uh, among receiving production there's not a receiver in the top two that, that is just absurd that's why i have this receiver room graded as a c because again i think it's average in college football but i don't think they're going to be anything special luke the situation for south carolina is dire you're breaking in a freshman quarterback that like you mentioned does not have a spectacular arm and then you're breaking in a whole lot of new receivers that that didn't did not get a lot of experience last year you're gonna have to rely on kevin harris pretty heavily but you look at their receiver room they're like you mentioned their best pass catcher last season that's returning was nick muse they're tied in 425 yards a touchdown average 14.2 yards per catch I think this unit is definitely going to struggle I don't see a whole lot outside of him they're breaking in again just a lot of new receivers and Jalen Brooks uh Dakarian Joyner I believe he was a former quarterback actually and then EJ Jenkins the six six foot seven yeah, they they're they're going to run a two tight end system according to uh, according to Lindy's six foot seven, two hundred and forty two pound senior tight end EJ Jenkins. That's going to be interesting to see what he does this season. But they, again, they're just breaking in so many new faces, and it's not like Auburn or Georgia or Alabama where you can just kind of not necessarily plug and play, but plug and play. I think they're definitely going to have some growing pains this season. I would go as far as to say this receiver room's a D. I don't even know if I'd call it average in college football. I understand the respect for an SEC team, but I think some places out there would say Auburn's receiver room's a C, right? And I think you compare Auburn's talent in the receiver room to South Carolina's, there's a big gorge there, right? Yeah, I think so. Tom, so and, and I understand the the philosophy on SEC team got to be at least average in most of the position groups, but I, I I think that if we're going to give a position group in the SEC a D lower than a C I might say South Carolina's receivers are there because they really don't have a whole lot coming back now Nick Muse elevates it a bit but man they're in a they're they're in a tough place and then I go back to Luke Doty and his passing statistics and this coupled with and you said it best when you said dire situation breaking in a new quarterback and with these receivers yes dire situation because Doty last year not a solid passer had despite limited playing time had a a not so good turnover worthy play percentage according to pro football focus was at seven percent of the time he was committing a turnover worthy play that was second on the team behind ryan helinski who was 16.7 percent of the time but he didn't play a whole lot of course and then colin hill was at 1.6 percent just for a barometer there he was six percent 
of the time worse at committing turnover-worthy plays than uh, than Colin Hill. But we need to take a quick break here. When we come back, we continue Auburn football schedule analysis series. Stay on the line. More of the show when we come back. Thirty minutes left in the Tuesday edition of On the Line. Noah Gardner and Lance Dahl with you on ESPN 106.7 and Fox Sports Central Alabama. Number to call 334-564-1840. That's the text line. Number to call 334-321-1390. Keep up with all the content the show is putting out on RadioAlabamaSports.net and on the Radio Alabama Sports Facebook page. Follow it on Twitter as well at Radio AL Sports. It's the place to be for Auburn and Alabama content as well as high school sports content. Once again, that's RadioAlabamaSports.net. Continuing with our Auburn football schedule analysis series, the South Carolina Gamecocks. We've talked about quarterback, running back, wide receiver, not too high up on this South Carolina Gamecock team. Is there anything redeeming with the offensive line, Lance? I don't think there is. No, I'm going to be honest with you. They returned three starters from a unit that gave up 2.7 sacks per game last season. That was 96 in the country. They, You can say, well, you know, Kevin Harris was able to have a good year statistically. Obviously, they were able to get a little push at the line as far as running the ball. Well, they were only 60th nationally in rushing yards per game. They were 104th in, 100, er, in, in uh, passing yards per game. Obviously, they weren't throwing the ball a whole lot, but still, it's not very efficient. And they only averaged 23.5 points per game and 355.1 total yards per contest. And I think Part of that has to do with the offensive line not being very good. South Carolina's not recruited fantastic at that position, and obviously they had a lot of offensive woes last season. I think the offensive line was part of that. So if you're comfortable with grading the quarterback room and the receiver room as, as a D, I would say that this is a C- minus or a D plus. looking at the offensive line. I don't think the situation is great. How much... Can Shane? How much is there for Shane Beamer to work with, right? Like, Can Shane Beamer elevate this offense... And how much can he elevate it to in terms of points per game? Um, in terms of points per game, I think they can get to 28. I they were 23 and a half per game last year. Yeah, I think best case scenario, they get to 28, 28 and a half. My rule of thumb, and maybe I'm, I'm going a little bit too low here. My rule of thumb and adjusting from last season's statistics were a little bit skewed because you played an all SEC schedule. Mm-hmm. My rule of thumb aver- has been add a little bit like, just by default, you're going to add three or four points per game because you're not – I'll say three points per game. You're going to add that much just because you're not playing an SEC schedule now. You're going to get some blowout games in there. Some teams may take advantage of that better than others. I'm looking at South Carolina and Vanderbilt as teams that may not take advantage of that. Mississippi State as well, considering how difficult their non-conference schedule is with Louisiana Tech, Memphis, NC State, among some other teams. So, like, I, I think there's like a three-point boost at max compared to last year. And then – how much more do you add on top of that to actually really show improvement? 28 is going to be hard to get to. I see the South Carolina team maybe being uh, – th- this is just my take on I'm not saying you're wrong, which it would be actually a huge lift, in my opinion, for them to get to 28. I don't even know if I'd give them a full three points from last year because of how much talent they lost off the offensive side of the ball. 
I, I might say they only get to like 20. Th- this looks like an offense that will only average 24 or 25 points a game. The, and to yeah. put that in perspective, they averaged 23 and a half last year. Yeah, I was, I was, I was saying like best case scenario. I, I was not saying that South Carolina would yeah. would be able to. I was like best case scenario. Shane Bieber figures it out. Luke Doty looks somewhat competent. I think they could score 28 a game. I don't think it's more than that. But I agree with you. I think this off this South Carolina offense is going to have a really hard time scoring the football. I don't know necessarily about moving it because I think Kevin Harris is going to be able to play well, but scoring I think this team is going to have a really difficult time doing it I would yeah I would sit somewhere between 24 and 26 uh, at the at the high end for me if I was if I was having to to, to talk about it realistically like but like um, rational rationally the the the, be, the best case for South Carolina I compare some of their numbers from previous years last year they were 23 and a half per game 2019 only 22.4 2018 they were 30.1 2017 24.2 2016, 20.8, 2015, 21.9, and 2014, 32.6. So going back to 2014, maybe we even excuse last year. So so between the time of 2014 to 2019, where they were playing normal college football, they had four seasons where they averaged less than even 24.3 points per game. Four seasons out of six years. And how it's not getting better. Yeah, and how much is is a a new head coach with a bad offensive line and a new quarterback going to be able to improve upon that? Now, granted, unfortunately for South Carolina, Will Muschamp was their head coach, and he's not a shining beacon of offense on this planet. But Shane Beamer has been at Oklahoma in these previous stops, and and what he did, you know, throughout his coaching career. That's why South Carolina probably hired him. Was they were like, "Eh, we need somebody who can come and fix this offense. And that's been kind of where I've waffled back and forth between the bottom teams in the SEC East is Vanderbilt hired a defensive coordinator, and we've seen that not work for some of these lower-end teams like South Carolina and Vanderbilt, too, with Derek Mason. Makes me wonder, is the offense the way to go with Tennessee and Vanderbilt, uh, or Tennessee and South Carolina, excuse me, with Hoypel's background, and then you also talk about Shane Beaver's background. Was that the way to go instead of Clark Lee going to Vanderbilt? I'm interested that Vanderbilt didn't go offense because you look at James Franklin's background. What was his background? Offense, right? So right. I'm in, I'm intrigued that Vandy didn't go that way. But let's move on to the defensive side of the ball for South Carolina. I think there are a couple of bright spots with this group, and I would say it is probably in the front seven, namely on the defensive line, because they bring back pretty much all of their sack production from last year, with the exception of with the exception of Ernest Jones, who was at the top of the team in tackles. But they bring back pretty much all of their sack production, namely Kingsley and Igbari. Right, right. If I, was, I think, honestly, outside of the running back position, this is the best group on, on, on this South Carolina team. They bring back three starters from a unit that was not in, particularly impressive in terms of total yards allowed per game and rushing yards allowed per game. They gave up 195 on the ground, and they gave up 451 total yards per game. So they weren't fantastic, but like you, like you mentioned, there's quite a bit of production coming back, at least from a sack uh, stance. They bring back Kier Thomas, who uh, who uh, had three sacks last season, and they're going to be be able to bring back a couple other guys in Kingsley and Zach Pickens and Jahari Ellis. Um, these guys are not necessarily, I don't think, going to be able to stand out and and be like really really good. So I I, I wouldn't feel comfortable grading them as a B, but I think they're definitely going to be able to uh, to perform at an average level in college football. I think that's fair to say. The big concern with the defensive line last season, they gave up 4.9 yards per carry, which is their worst mark 
since 2015 when they gave up 5.1 yards per carry. This was not a great defense against the run last year. Gave up nearly 200 rush yards per game. They sat at 195. And despite the fact that they were able to, that they, that they do bring back some solid pass rushers, they still did it, generate a ton of sacks last year, only 1.4 sacks per game last season. And then as far as passing the football was concerned, it was the highest completion percentage that opposing quarterbacks have achieved since uh well, really in the last seven years it was the, it was the highest that they've achieved 66.6 percent was what opposing quarterbacks were completing passes at that clip there's a lot of issues with the south carolina defense going into the second and third level right right whenever you look at these linebackers i will say this actually about the defensive line uh 1.4 uh team sacks per game that was 109th nationally so while they do bring back production it wasn't incredibly productive you look at this linebacking core they don't bring back a single starter they're they're essentially this whole team's kind of starting from scratch man outside of the running back spot they're just kind of they're starting over like you said this is a rebuilding year like they blew it up and they're starting everything all over again um i would have this group group rated as a c or a d I don't necessarily think that this South Carolina team at the linebacking spot is going to be anything too impressive. I'm trying to look and see who their returning tackler is. I'm looking down the list, and I can't find him from this linebacking linebacking core. So and not a lot of production there. If you can find them, let me know, Noah. But I would have this group great as a – honestly, I'd put it as a D. And then the secondary, once again, I go back to 66.6% opposing quarterback completion percentage last season – this is another weakness of the football team. Yeah, the offenses were able to be pretty efficient against South Carolina last season. Like like you mentioned, 66% completion percentage, and then they gave up 256 passing yards per game. That was 97th nationally. They only bring back one starter from that unit in R.J. Roderick. Let's see if I can find his tackle numbers here. Honestly... I, I can't like I can't there he is there he is 23 total tackles man he was so far down the list and there's not a lot of production on this back end for South Carolina uh, I, I would grade this unit as a D as well and you know what I'm gonna be honest this kind of frustrates me as an Auburn fan how Auburn wasn't able to win, score more than 22 points in that game against South Carolina midway through the season is beyond me now I'm looking at these numbers I'm like what like come on y'all like well, well I think the South Carolina team is worse than it was last year yeah. from a roster perspective, but that brings back the question that I asked you earlier. How much can Shane Beamer elevate that here in year one? And me and you have talked a little bit about this throughout the offseason. Now I'm bringing this question back up. Worst in the SEC East is probably the worst in the entire conference, but still worst in the SEC East, South Carolina or Vanderbilt. And I have made this point. They're on, on, on the one side of the coin, Vanderbilt has more established on their roster right now. 17 returning starters. They've got a quarterback that they feel comfortable with. And actually, if you compare Ken Seals to Bo Nix last year, statistically, I mean, Ken Seals had 4% higher of a completion percentage than Bo Nix last year. (laughs) He had the same amount of touchdowns. He had nearly, uh, he had about like 70 less pass attempts last season, which made his yards lower because he wasn't throwing the football as much. But at that completion percentage clip, he would have had more yards if he had had as many pass attempts as Bonex. They ran the ball a lot last year. He still had the 12 touchdowns. Now, the bad part about Ken Seals last year was 12 TDs to 10 interceptions. But I look at Vanderbilt and I see, all right, established quarterback. Oh, they bring back nine starters on offense. All that they have to replace is their running back and one offensive lineman. So they got a lot coming back on offense. Oh, you look on the defensive side of the ball. They got a lot coming back as well. Eight returning stars on the defensive side of the ball. And granted, Vanderbilt was horrible last year. Winless. Horrible. But when I compare them and South Carolina for worst place in the SEC, I say, okay, one team's in full-fledged rebuild mode. The other team 
is adding to what they had last year, is building on top of what they did a year ago, but with a new head coach. There's more established. I don't. Now, the other side of the coin that I brought up during this segment is one side hired a coach to improve their offense. The other side went back defense coordinator again, which was Vanderbilt, whereas Vanderbilt probably could have used more of an offensive mind to help elevate their program. So the, the warring questions here in this debate between worst and the SEC East goes with how much can Shane Beamer elevate the South Carolina offense in year one to actually make them competitive versus Vanderbilt's established talent that, they, that they're bringing back, which obviously is still one of the worst talent pools in the SEC, but compared to South Carolina, they have more established. Which do you value more, Vanderbilt's experience or South Carolina's new head coach? Uh, that's a it's a really really tough question because I'm gonna be honest with you these two teams I hate to say it like this but they're they're at the bottom of the barrel in the SEC man like they are not performing as well as some of the other teams in the conference right now and that's I'm, an understatement I'm gonna say, I was I was trying I was trying to be nice I was trying to be nice I think I value Shane Beamer just a little bit more because Vanderbilt has been so bad. <laughs> recently you know I, I i think i value shane beamer just a little bit more than clark lee in this vanderbilt experience see but we're you know and, and things were turning downhill for Derek mason at vanderbilt for a long time i mean even even in 2019 they go three and nine the only teams that they beat northern illinois 24 to 18 they beat a ranked missouri team that year 21 to 14 in east tennessee state 38 to zero they weren't overly competitive in a lot of football games that year. I mean, even lost to UNLV 34 to 10, Purdue 42 to 24. It wasn't a good luck for Vanderbilt back in 2019. And then last season, they lost a few games close, lost to a top 10 Texas A&M team to open up the year 17 to 12, lost to Mississippi State 24 to 17, and then lost to Kentucky 38 to 35. Those were their close games. Outside of that, they got blown out. I'm trying to figure out how competitive Clark Lee can get these guys. And I want to believe that Vanderbilt's the team going bowling out of the bottom of the SEC East and not South Carolina because they seem to – under Derek Mason, we saw them play with a chip on their shoulder. We saw them play and try and be competitive despite their lack of talent. I'm trying to evaluate how bad this Vanderbilt team is compared to how bad this South Carolina team is, but I probably do favor Shane Beamer and his offensive approach considering where he's coming from at Oklahoma a little bit more than what Vanderbilt's bringing back. Yeah, and you look at the schedule that South Carolina has to face. I mean, they have to face Georgia, Tennessee, and Texas A&M all on the road, and then to finish the season, they have to go at, to Missouri, and they get Auburn and Clemson at home. I mean, it's, uh, if, you were, if you had to ask me who would you rather have go to a bowl game, who do you think is going to go to a bowl game, or which is more likely, Vanderbilt or South Carolina, I mean, Vanderbilt does have... The schedule is more favorable. Yeah, some things going their way in terms of how favorable the schedule is. I mean, I was talking to somebody about this yesterday. They've got a pretty easy non-conference schedule outside of Stanford, and if they go 4-0 non-conference play, you can win a game against South Carolina or Mississippi State, and if you're desperate enough, you can win another game in the SEC, and you could see Kentucky, Missouri, uh, if Tennessee's having a really bad year. I mean, there's definitely opportunity for Vanderbilt. I'm not saying it's going to happen, but there there is opportunity for Vanderbilt. And then you look at a team like South Carolina, they are just hitting a total system reset. So get this South Carolina and Vanderbilt. Let's say both of them go three and one in non-con play. I think that's, I think that's feasible. I think, I mm-hmm. think Vanderbilt beats Colorado state, East Tennessee state and Connecticut loses to Stanford. South Carolina will beat Eastern Illinois, East Carolina and Troy, but lose to Clemson. So say both of these teams go three and one in non-con play. 
Now let's look at their respective SEC schedules, and you tell me which team has a better chance to get three SEC wins to get to a bowl game. This is South Carolina's SEC schedule. Georgia, Kentucky, Tennessee, Vanderbilt, Texas A&M, Florida, Missouri, Auburn. Their two West opponents are Auburn and Texas A&M, so they're taking L's from the other side of the league. Mm-hmm. That That's tough. I don't know if you can – you can't find three wins out of that. Mm-hmm. Hey, look at Vanderbilt's. A little bit easier. Of course, they play the same East opponents. They still have Georgia. They still have Florida. They get to play South Carolina, which is, you know, that that, that could be the decider between these two getting to a bowl game. Whoever wins that game ends up going. But they get to play Georgia, Florida, South Carolina. They play Mississippi State at home. They get Missouri at home, Kentucky, Ole Miss, and Tennessee. Yeah, it's it's uh, it's it's looking up for the Commodores compared to where the Gamecocks are sitting right now, and I, th- I think you can you can find a win at home against Kentucky if you're South Carolina, and then you could find a win at Vanderbilt, but at Tennessee, at Texas A&M, Florida, at Missouri, at Georgia, those yeah. last five games are a nightmare. Yep, at Texas A&M bye week, host Florida, at Missouri, host Auburn, and then host Clemson. I see five losses in a row. Yeah, and if Missouri's playing as well as we think they could potentially be like an eight and four, nine win team, they could be ranked in that could be five straight top twenty five matchups for South Carolina to finish out the season. One of the toughest schedules in the country. It's it's absolutely brutal. When you have to play Clemson and, and Georgia every year, that is definitely gonna factor into that that he had to play Auburn this year. I mean, it it is it is brutal. We gotta take a quick break here. When we come back, we wrap up the Tuesday edition of On the Line. On the line, Noah Gardner and Lance Dahl with you on ESPN 106.7 and Fox Sports Central Alabama. Number to call, 334-321-1390. Text line at 334-564-1840. Hardly any time left, but we do have time for one more call if someone wants to squeeze in. you got three minutes left, 334-321-1390. NBA Finals tomorrow. It'll be Game 4 and a big part of what we talked about yesterday, Lance, was can the Bucks repeat what they did in Game 3? Can they repeat it in Game 4? It kind of makes me wonder, was Game 3 more about the Suns, or was it more about what the Bucks did? I think it was more about the Suns, because Devin Booker is not going to go. I, I, I don't have the stats in front of me. I can pull them up real quick, but he, he shot so poorly. Chris Paul uh, played bad too. Chris Paul played really bad too, and that's not going to happen. The Suns only lost by ten or twenty, rather. Like, or sorry, yeah, they lost by twenty, but they're they're going to be able to close that gap if uh, Chris Paul and Devin Booker are shooting well. Let's see, Booker was three of fourteen from the field, yeah, yeah and only ten points. Yeah, he's not going to do that for for the rest of the series. He's gonna he's gonna drop at least twenty every single game from here on out. And I don't necessarily think it was what the Bucks were doing, but at the same time, though, every single time that Booker got into the paint to take a shot, he got hacked. He got harassed, and the refs were not calling anything. I think you're not going to be able to see the refs favor the Bucks uh, for the like like that like they did in Game Three for the rest of the, the series. Uh, I think it was more about what the Suns did. I think they're going to be able to find their rhythm offensively. They're going to be able to score a lot of points. And we've seen Giannis go off, and the Bucks lose in the past in in this series. And if the Suns can actually find some rhythm on offense and they can they can score, because not every team is going to go through a three or four game drought to finish a finals. I mean, right? Like, so I, I think if 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 the Suns can find a little bit of offense, and they don't even have to hold Giannis down because they've shown that they can win without doing that, uh, I think they can take Game Four. The United States lost back to back in their Olympic exhibitions they oh, lost man. to australia team usa falls to zero and two 
in those Olympic exhibition games as they get ready for the Olympic tournament that's coming up uh, in, in next month in Tokyo. Is it time to be worried? Yes, I think it is time to be worried because I believe I saw uh, yesterday CBS Sports put out a graphic saying that Team USA was 54-2 and two in previous exhibition games up until this point. I mean, I, and it's not for a lack of talent. Jacob and I were talking about that earlier. It's not for a lack of talent. I don't know what's going on. I don't know why they're not shooting well, but it, it is panic mode right now because you don't, if you're Team USA, you don't lose back to back exhibition games. I mean, that is just, that is embarrassing. Like, that is, that is really, a really, really, really bad look. I'm really concerned. Are guys tired? I think that's an important question. I think they Condensed could be. Season. Yeah, I think they could be. I think guys like Durant are definitely going to need a bit, a little bit of rest before they start playing in Tokyo. But still, is a tired United States basketball team. Shouldn't that not be better? Yeah, they should. They should. The world? Yeah, they should beat Australia. <laughs> they, they should beat Australia. And so, I'm, and Australia is still one of the better uh, national teams out there compared to some of the others. But man, I, I am confused at the moment. I, I, I think once they get to Greg Popovich is a great coach. I think once they get to the Olympics. It's going to be better, but there is an, uh, an uphill climb here. There is adversity to overcome. That is it for the Tuesday edition of On the Line. Noah Gardner and Lance Dahl will be back with you tomorrow. Same time, same place. You know where to find us.